Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of God. If you are new or visiting uh, our church uh, this morning, uh, I do want to welcome you uh, here to our church uh, and uh, invite you to our Easter service on Sunday. Um, we have a tremendous luncheon that's prepared afterwards, and everyone is welcome to attend. So feel free to bring friends and family to that. Um, it's always a, a great time to celebrate with our body. We only do this a couple times a year. But what an awesome opportunity to get together with everybody, to fellowship, and celebrate the risen Christ. Now, today is Palm Sunday. And uh, what's Palm Sunday mean? What's it about? Palm Sunday looks to Jesus Christ as the true king the true king who has come, and the true king who will return. Now, the coming king means, well, it means everything good. It means everything blessed. It means there's victory. It means there's peace. It means there's richness. So if you know Jesus, if you know this king, you will be fulfilled. If you don't know the king, no matter how much, no matter how hard you work, no matter how protective you are in your life, no matter how wealthy you are, you will never truly experience victory. You will never really experience peace, the shalom peace that's promised. You will be bankrupt, soulfully bankrupt. What makes Jesus Christ a true king? That's what we're going to answer today, and there are three points we're going to look into. One, he's what we've longed for, the perfect embodiment of all of our ideals. Two, he restores us. Lastly, he makes us kingly. He's what we've longed for. He restores us. He makes us kingly. That's why he's the true king. First, he's what we've longed for. He's the perfect embodiment of everything that we, uh, of all of our ideals. Now, <clears throat> our society doesn't really get the ideal, the concept of a king. We live in a democracy. We don't understand the concept of kingliness because we live in a democratic society. So you have, to, you have to think about this concept through the literature that we read, through ancient literature, through histor historical literature, through the arts. You have to look to the kingliness of men like King Arthur. You have to look to the kingliness of people like William Wallace, if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart. And what do you see when you look to these figures? In the most enduring tales of the Western world, True kings embody a very strange combination of characteristically opposing qualities. I'm going to give you a couple examples. The ideal king in the Western world is a warrior. The ideal king is fierce on one hand, but he's also humble. 
He's also gentle. A true king is victorious. On the other hand, he's compassionate. He's heroic on one hand, and yet meek. Meek at heart on the other hand. True kings battle injustice, but they also battle the temptation for self-importancy. And so what we see here uh, is that it's rare. It's never, never do we ever see a king like that. But you see this everywhere in the literatures. You see everywhere in the arts that we're desperately longing for an ideal king that embodies all the elements of the greatest marks of heroism and bravery and yet possesses all the marks of meekness and modesty. We're wildly fascinated with this ideal. And it's, it's why we're so gripped by politics. It's why we're so attracted to people who have power, why we're so attracted to people with wealth, why we're so attracted to people who are beautiful. We want to be in the presence of kingliness, the ideal king. The problem is most kings in history, all kings throughout history, have terrible records, terrible records. The world had worked very, very hard to get rid of these types of kings. But then, after some distance, after some time has passed, what happens is we recreate these kings. We tell stories about these kings. We mythify them. And if you think about it, when you look at your own hearts, when we look at our own hearts, we realize that the ideal of true kingliness, it puts a tremendous demand, an almost impossible demand, at least in themselves, in us by ourselves, because we're arrogant, because we're conceited, because uh, we're also very wimpy. We're insecure at the same time. We cannot reconcile being brave and meek. We cannot reconcile being powerful and humble, courageous and gentle at the same time, not in ourselves. You may have moments of bravery, but it's always mixed in with arrogance. It's always mixed in with pride. You may have moments of humility, but it's always mixed in with insecurity. You see that? So where does this ideal, where does this notion of this ideal come from? Revelation chapter 5, you see this in your call to worship. The author is the Apostle John. And there he writes, Behold the Lion of Judah. And John looks. And what does he see? Does he see a lion? No, he sees a lamb. So is, it, is, is this king a lion or a lamb? And that's the point. Because some of us, when we look to Jesus, we see a lion. Other people, we see a lamb. It's both. You see, it's because it's both, and it's perfectly both. Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of seemingly incompatible realities, what Jonathan Edwards calls the incompatible excellencies. Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of both. Now, they're written about in great Western, Western literature, but they're not the source. When you read about Achilles, Achilles was not like that. So it, can't have come, it couldn't have come from the Greeks. Achilles was brave, but he was never regarded as tender, never regarded as modest. Hercules, the great hero of heroes, he wasn't like that, so it couldn't have come from the Romans. This Christian ideal, this ideal about the true king, that the most heroic, that the mightiest person must also be the meekest person, must also be the gentlest person, you see it only embodied in Christ, only in Christ. It's a Christian ideal. Why doesn't this ideal go away? It's because Christians know that it's more than an ideal. It's a reality. There really is a king like that, and it's Jesus. In this passage, on one hand, you see the majesty of Jesus. 
you see the beauty and the majesty of the king. Verse 12, the crowd, they heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So what did they do? They took palm branches and they went out there and they were shouting. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. In verse 17, uh, those that saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they spread word about Jesus. So you see them coming out. They want to meet him. They're attracted to him. They're shouting. They're blessing him. They're calling him the king. They spread word about him. Verse 18, many people, because they heard about it, they came out to meet him. Verse 19, the Pharisees, they didn't know what to do. They said, look, look how the whole world has gone after him. Kingliness. We're drawn to kingliness. We're drawn to the beauty of the king. And here you just see a glimpse of that beauty. You see a glimpse of that majesty here. Palm branches is where we get Palm Sunday. But on the other hand, Jesus Christ is gentle. Jesus Christ is lowly at heart. Behold, your king comes, meek and lowly. That that heroic, brave, courageous, majestic quality of the king, incompatible with meekness and lowliness, and yet you see these qualities perfectly embodied and united in Christ, in Jesus. It's what makes him great. And I want to submit to you that unless you see that, you will not be, you will not be healed of your deepest, patholo- deepest pathologies. Unless you see both the majestic quality of the king and at the same time the gentle humility of the king, you will not be healed of your greatest struggles, your greatest pains. We are all looking for a king especially in our day today, in our country today. We're looking for true kingliness. And we're looking in all the wrong places, you see, because it's Jesus who we're seeking. Why do you think we're always looking for love? Why do you think we're always looking for friendship? Why do you think we're always looking for, uh, to build a great reputation? Why are we always attracted to beautiful people, great leaders, mighty leaders, Why are we always looking for that? We're looking for a true king. And how do you know that? Single friends. Single friends. Whenever you talk about your future spouse, what do you say? I'm looking for a man who's intelligent but not arrogant. I'm looking for a person who's intelligent and yet not pretentious. I'm looking for a woman, a spouse who's beautiful but not insecure. Someone who's so beautiful and yet not into herself. And, and we're looking for these people in all the wrong places. We're looking for these people in people where you're never going to find it. People are always going to disappoint you. We want kingliness. We think that if we have wealth, we think that if we have power, a great, great influence in our lives, a wonderful career, we can be kings. But no, because you will disappoint people. You will fail people. And we have. And you will lose. And we have. And you're selfish, and you're arrogant, and we're self-serving. Jesus Christ is the king that we're seeking. He's the hero that you need. You see that? He's the hero that you need. The second point is Jesus Christ restores us. So on one hand, he's the perfect embodiment of all of our ideals, everything that we're looking for, and yet, too, he restores us. We said only he can heal us of our deepest, deepest pathologies. Only Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all of our ideals. If you look at verse 14, Jesus Christ, he specifically went out to get a young donkey, a very lowly animal, a meek animal. Why? On one hand, he's fulfilling prophecy. 
written in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah chapter 9, Behold, your king comes, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey's colt. On one hand, behold your king. On the other hand, he's riding on a donkey's colt. Huh? Why? Why is that? People didn't get it. The disciples couldn't get it. You see that written here. They didn't get it until much, much later. How can a king, how can the liberator, how can our redeemer and rescuer be meek and lowly and tender and sweet and gentle? And here's the answer. Jesus is saying, look, if I just rescued you from societal oppression, which is what they were expecting, if I just rescued you from society's woes, from political tyranny, you're still a slave. You're still a slave to your sin. You're still a slave to your guilt. You're still a slave to your pursuit of identity, your desire for fulfillment. You're still a slave to death. And so I have to come in weakness because I have come to take your place in weakness because you can't, you can't defeat death. You can't defeat your sin. You can't overcome the penalty you can't pay that price, so I have to come in weakness so I can come and take your place to take your penalty, to take your sin, to take your death. Do you see that? Do you get that? In other words, Jesus is saying, my victory is my weakness. I'm the lion and the lamb. My strength is my weakness. I'm so strong that my strength comes through my weakness. My power comes through my death. Do you see that? In verse 16, we're told the disciples, they didn't see that. They didn't understand until he was glorified. Now, what was Jesus' glory? What was Jesus' glory? In the gospel according to John, which is where we read this passage, whenever Jesus speaks about the hour of his glory, his glorification, he's always talking about the hour of his greatest weakness. He's talking about his death. He's talking about the cross. It's what makes Jesus Christ great. It's why we're longing for him. It's why we seek him. It's why we want to give ourselves to him. He's kingly. He's a beautiful king. He, he's kingly because he's not just meek and lowly. He's majestic and high. And we know this because of the palm branches. What did the palm branches mean? You see, in ancient times, if you're waving palm branches, you're celebrating a great conqueror. You're celebrating a hero, a winner. That's what you're celebrating. And it was a low-cost way, because many of the people, they were poor, it was a low-cost way of celebrating a conquering hero. But to Jesus, it meant something much deeper, much more significant, something else, because he knew that although he was coming in and riding in and people were hailing him as king, he was coming into Jerusalem to die, to submit himself, to suffer, to be tortured, to die. And he knew that the next time he returns, Psalm chapter 96 says what? Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Then shall all the trees sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. The next time Jesus returns, all heaven and earth will rejoice. It won't just be palm branches that we'll be waving. The trees themselves will be waving before the king, you see. All heaven and earth will rejoice. Everything in it will rejoice because order has been restored. Peace has been restored. Justice has been restored. Everything will be as it was designed. You ever watched the movie, the recent movie, Beauty and the Beast? If you haven't seen the recent one, you saw the old one. 
Great story, timeless story, right? You see, we're all right now, if you haven't seen it, I mean, you had to have seen it, right? If you haven't, go see it, okay? We're all like Cogsworth. We're all like Lumiere. We're all like Mrs. Potts and little Chip. You see that? We're a mere shadow of what we were designed to be. We're a mere shadow of our potential, and we're all decaying. We're all rusting. We're hardening. We're hardening because of the curse, just like Cogsworth. You know, Cogsworth, he's a clock, right? He tells time. That's his job. But ironically, he's slow. He's slow on the uptake. He doesn't get things as quickly as the other characters in the story. He's not very quick, and he's always wrong. But when the king comes, all glory, all of our potential, all of our power will blossom. You know what that means? You will never know your true self You will never know your true potential. You will never know your real beauty, your true, your ultimate glory until you meet the king. Then you will become your real self. And when you become your real self, you're going to be free and you're going to sing and you're going to rejoice with the trees. You're going to rejoice with the mountains and the roaring seas. So when the king passes by, we'll be rejoicing. That's the meaning of the palm branches. They're waving. That's what it meant. We're blooming. This is the kingliness of Jesus. This is what it means to see Jesus Christ as great, as the high king, and yet he's low, and he's a tender king. He's a serving king. Do you long for that? Does that move you? Does that part of Jesus move you? Because if it doesn't move you, then you're like Cogsworth. You're slow on the uptake. The curse is taking hold until you harden and you turn brittle. You see that? And it becomes permanent. One day the curse will become permanent otherwise. You're just riding out your decay right now. You're trying to fight it, and you know how we're fighting it? We're trying to stay pretty, and we're trying to stay young, and we're trying to stay strong, and we think if we can amass things, we can amass our wealth and build. If we can amass credibility and a reputation, that's what's going to help to outdo the decay, to overcome the decay. But friends, it's a curse. There's something infinitely more meaningful and glorious that we've been designed for. Do you see that? And if you're saying, well, you know, that's just a fairy tale. That's just a story. I'm giving up hope. Do you get it? You're, you need to put to death, if you don't believe it, you're putting to death the chance to be the real you. This is not the real you. You've you got to put to death the ch- to chance, or you're putting to death the chance uh, to become your real humanity. If you desire for a world that's under the true king, you have an opportunity to become the real you. If your desire for the world under a true king has grown dim, then your humanity has grown dim. Your identity has grown dim. Do you see that? He's the one you seek. Glorious, beautiful, humble. The mountains bow down, the seas roar, and yet he's so sweet to children, and he's so inviting the prostitutes to the disabled, to us. And, and he desires to bring union between his soul and our soul. And he's willing to do that at the cost of his suffering, his poverty, his torture, his shame, his cross, his death for us, for us. Behold the king, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And your life is blessed if it comes into your life, if the king comes into your life as your king. 
How does he come into your life? How? How does he make us kingly? If you're taking in what this passage is saying, then unless the kingliness of Christ comes into your life, you're either going to be arrogant for the rest of your life, filled with pride, or you're going to be wimpy, filled with insecurity for the rest of your life. And you probably know which one you are. Either you're going to overcompensate your weakness with arrogance, or you're going to be desperate for the approval of other people and you're going to be wimpy. Only Jesus Christ is brave and tender at the same time. Only he is courageous and gentle at the same time. And only he will unite courage and humility in you at the same time. Only the kingliness of Christ can make you into a kingly person. Now, if you've been at Metro for a while, most of us or all of us here know that because of our own sin, you can't generate true kingliness on your own. You can't do that. You have to receive it. It has to be given to you. Only by the grace of the king, only by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Now, let's pause for a second. I've got to ask you this. Why are you here in this great city? Why is it our desire to worship, to work in this city, to pursue greatness in this city? Now, some of you, you're here in Philadelphia because you want to use the city. You're here to learn. You're here to build. You're here to absorb talent. You're here to get in there, and either you're going to get in there and make money, and you're going to, or you're going to rise in status, you're going to build credibility, and then you're going to get out of there as soon as you get married, as soon as you have a family, as soon as you have children, as soon as you get older, whatever the reason is, whatever the reason is that you can use as an excuse to get out, you're going to use it. Now, some of you, you're not quite there yet. You're not there yet. So you're in the city, and you're absorbed in the city. So you're going to let the city and its values, the values of society shape you and influence you. And so what you're going to do is you're going to trade in your values, and you're going to trade in your worldview for the worldview and the values of the world and of society, of the city. And so what's going to happen is either A, you're going to go in, you're going to say, I'm going to take the city by storm. I'm going to exploit the city. I'm going to use the city so that I can become great and feel kingly. Or you're going to let the city overtake you. And you're going to be shaped by its values. And you're going to be wimpy on one hand, right? But you feel that if I can just gain and maintain the values of the city and grow in that way and its desires, then I'll feel kingly. You're either going to become a tyrant, exploit the city, or you're going to become wimps, shaped by the city. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is somebody who lives in the city, lives near the city, works in the city, works near the city, and wants to shape the city on one hand by serving the city on the other. A Christian says it's not about blue state, red state, a Christian says it's not about being progressive or traditional. It's not about conservative or liberal. You know why? In ancient times, they were very patriarchal society, very patriarchal, very chauvinistic. Do you know that the church said, well, because the ancient societies, they were chauvinistic. Women had no value. The church said, we believe women have equal dignity as men. And so as a result, we're going to care for our women on one hand, we're going to live sexually pure lives to honor our wives. 
in a world where that was unheard of. And on the other hand, they said, we're going to be faithful to our wives and we're going to serve our women. And so, you know, they didn't care what the city valued. They didn't care what the society valued. They didn't just care for their women. They didn't just care for the good women, right? The ones who actually were coveted in some ways. They cared for the widows. They cared for the disadvantaged. They cared for the poor. In the ancient times, there were laws that were passed that required women to get married. If you were a widow, you had to get married within a certain amount of time because if you weren't married within that certain amount of time, you would lose your citizenship. And in the Roman Empire, citizenship was everything. The church said, you know what? We're not going to put them, we're not going to, we're going to enable them. We're not going to let them uh, succumb to the pressures of society. We're going to provide for them so that they, in their own timing, in their own healing, they can grow in their own space. They can be independent. That's an amazing thing. Jesus Christ, more progressive than any progressive. On one hand, more conservative than any conservative, and yet more progressive than any progressive. Do you see that? Because he didn't think about using the city. He wasn't thinking about progressive versus traditional. That's not what he was thinking about. He was king, and he came to restore his kingdom in the city. And so kingliness is about the kingliness of Christ coming in, transforming us so that we can go in and transform it. Do you see that? Look, I'm your pastor. I see you. We're all desperate here to make it in this life. And so you're anxious about your careers. You're anxious about your reputation. You're anxious about the progress of your children, how you look in front of other people. I know, you're fighting for glory. You want to be seen. You want to be known as kingly people. You see that? And so you, what you put, you punish yourselves. You put yourself on trial every day at work. And then you come home and you put yourself on trial at home. Every time you hear criticism and you're falling apart, listen, I'm not a, tr- I'm not a stranger to that. Every day I have the choice to criticize other people, then I'll be a tyrant, or fall apart because of other criticisms of me, then I'm a wimp. What's the remedy? What's the remedy? Jesus Christ says, you're known. You are known by the king. You have the favor of the high king. Behold the king of Israel. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and yet he's on a donkey's colt. A common. He's, he's like a commoner. You know what that means? That means we have access. We have access to the high king. How can desperate people become kingly? Behold the king who became desperate. We're enslaved. We're enslaved. How can a slave become held up as a king? Because the apostle Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. That means that you're kings. Everyone in heaven is a king. How can a slave become a king? Behold the king who became a slave. On the cross, what do you see? You see Jesus Christ. He's lifted up. Is he lifted up on a throne? No. Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ rides into the city, into Jerusalem, to ascend not on a throne, but on a cross. And did the people cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? No. They mocked him. They said, if you came in the name of the Lord, come down. Come down. 
They mocked him, they spit on him, they beat him, they tortured him, they killed him. You only did that, you only crucified people who were criminals, insurrectionists, rebels, slaves. Jesus Christ became a criminal, became a slave. He was cursed. You know why? You know why? When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, it's not blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord, but cursed is he who came. Do you see that? The high king riding in on a donkey's colt, it's a picture of the highness, the highness of the king who actually did come down. He came down all the way. It's really a picture of Jesus Christ going all the way down into the depths of hell. You know what hell is? Hell is complete separation between God and man. So on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, I'm forsaken, what he's saying is, I'm suffering hell on the cross. I'm suffering hell on the cross. Complete separation from God. On the cross, the mighty became weak. The mighty became weak, ultimately weak. The powerful became poor, ultimately poor on the cross. Why? So that his power His might can come through weakness, through brokenness. It's through this weakness, it's through this brokenness that Jesus' greatness will be revealed. Even the depths of hell, even death couldn't keep Jesus down. Such is the kingly power of Christ. And yet on the cross, silent. Look at the humility of Jesus. Look at the greatness of Jesus. Look at the weakness of Jesus. Look at the power of Jesus. Look at the compassion and the poverty and the meekness of Jesus. Look at the humility of Jesus. Do you want to be kingly? You have to look to the cross. You have to look at the kingliness of Jesus. Powerful yet humble for you, for us. Look at the power of Jesus, but look at the compassion of Jesus for us on the cross. Look at his love for us on the cross. He is the king over your life. That means he will go before every battle. He will satisfy every desire because he is the embodiment of everything that you ever wanted. But you you don't know how messed up I am. Revelation chapter 5. John looked to the Lion of Judah and he saw a lamb. And it wasn't just an ordinary lamb. It was a lamb that was all messed up. It was a slain lamb. It was a messed up lamb. Do you get that? If Jesus Christ demonstrates his power through his brokenness, then that means we come in brokenness to receive it. That's the only way that his power will work through you. It's the only prerequisite to coming to the high king is to come broken. If you're looking for renewal, you come weak, broken humble. Do you see that? When true kingliness comes into your life, I'm going to close with just three quick things that happen as a result. One, he makes you a servant king. The emphasis on servant king. What is that? A servant is someone who says, I'm going to work, I'm going to labor, I'm going to spend my energy to advance you, to advance your life. That means that a servant king is somebody who comes into the city and says, I will work, I will spend my energy, I will use my creativity to advance others. 
It's one of the reasons why we do and we participate in things like the Easter outreach. What we're doing is we're spending energy. We're laboring. It's not because anybody deserves it. It's because we're coming in as servants who are kings. It doesn't mean that a servant always feels the need to rescue everyone. You can't. The world isn't designed that way. Not until the true king returns. So if you're bent on rescuing somebody, it's really because you're a wimp. And you need, you need somebody, you need to help somebody to make you feel better about yourself. Do you see that? You can't do that. Right? You're still using the city because you're a wimp. And even if you do that, those commitments come with strings attached always because then you end up saying, you know, what have you done for me? This is about give and take, right? That's not a serving king. A serving king is meek. He says, I'm serving you because I want you to grow. I'm serving you because I'm growing in tenderness. I want to grow in love. I want to grow in compassion. I want to grow in forgiveness. I want to honor people. I want to build people up. I want to uplift people. I want to help people see who we really are in God's eyes, not just to flatter them, because if you're flattering them, you're doing that for your own sense of worth because you're insecure. You're doing it because you are known. You have the favor of the high king. That's a servant that empowers You're a servant king who empowers. You see that? The second thing is, it makes you a kingly servant. The emphasis on king. It means that you're a servant, you're serving, but you have the heart of a lion. You have courage. You're not doing that out of wimpy insecurity. You're serving, not for the approval of other people, but because you have the approval of the king. And so you're courageous and you're confident and you can empower other people. The high priest is someone who intercedes for God's people. And the high priest wears this ephod, a breastplate that has the names. In the ancient times, the high priest would come in and he would have this ephod, a breastplate that, is a, that have the names of all of God's people written on the breastplate. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the greater high priest, and it means this. What he's saying is, don't act like you always have something to prove. Don't act like you're always looking to make a name for yourself. So you're constantly fighting. That's not kingly. That's not kingly. If you want royal courage, you have to know that your name is written on my breastplate. That means your name is written on my heart. You have to know that. That means it's on his breastplate. Jesus Christ is fighting for you advocating for you, defending you. He is the ultimate king and the ultimate advocate, the high priest, right? So what Jesus, you know, in the ancient times, kings and high priests, you, they, they were representatives of God's people, but you rarely saw them united. You never saw them together as one. And yet Jesus Christ, the perfect embodiment of both, the perfect embodiment of both, the ultimate king, the ultimate high priest. And what he's saying is this, Forget about your successes. Forget about your failures. If you're you're successful, you're kingly, but you can often become proud and arrogant. If you're a failure, you oftentimes feel like a servant and low. It's easy to be humble when you fail, right? But you'll never be courageous. You'll never be empowered. Jesus Christ, by knowing that we have the favor of the high king, the name that your name is written on his heart, That enables you to be courageous and humble at the same time. Jesus is saying, forget about your successes. Forget about your failures. Forget about your accomplishments. 
Forget about your reputation. Forget about your looks. Forget about your status and your pedigree. You need to place your trust in Jesus, the high king. Jesus Christ, he came down to be broken so that we could be strong in him. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Hide yourself in him. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Famous hymn, right? Then you will be a lion and a lamb. You will be a lion and a lamb. Then you will be mighty and meek. Then you will have power and humility. And the next time he comes, all pride will be gone. The next time Jesus comes, all evil will be gone. All fears will be gone. All insecurities will be gone. The curse, the illnesses, the disease, and death will be overcome once and for all. That's next week. That's next week. Because the king has come. Look to him. Let's pray.